You're listening to Band Geek with Richie Castellano on the Riotcast Network. the band geek today we have someone i've been trying to get on the show for quite a while but he's a busy guy and uh i'm a big fan of his actually uh so we have our special guest today tom brislin let me tell you who else is in the studio we have andy ascalise playing the drums Hello. we have oh yeah sorry Not doing that. yay Woo! yay andy but she's like f you andy <laughs> Danny Miranda playing the bass guitar. Yay, Danny! Yeah. Snapping, snapping. My wife, Anne-Marie, on the vocals and some guitar. Up, y'all? Yay. The always enchanting Brandy Metaxas hanging out with us oh, today. thanks. Oh, Thank you. And I'm Richie Castellano. I said that already. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, So, Tom, you're going to hear him playing keyboards. That's what he's known for. And Tom is an amazing musician. And I'm, as I'm finding out from hanging out with him, uh, he fits right in with us with all the, the pop culture references. And it, it, this is a good fit, I think. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, like, are you sure we're not brothers? Yeah, we no. might be. <laughs> This is my my thinner, better looking brother Tom, and uh, but we 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 share a brain. Uh, it's you know the the first time I ever saw I I saw you play before I actually met you. I I went. Did you come with me to the Yes Symphonic tour, Andy? Uh, I don't remember that. The one you don't Maybe. remember? They, I think it was in Surround Sound. They played with a whole orchestra. Yeah, I guess I was there. It didn't really have that much of an impact on Andy. But don't take but it personally. Don't take it personally. Does. Yes, that, that that's the full range of Andy's emotion right there. That, he's very. That was him being very excited. Um, so I I went to go see that and I was very excited. That that was in surround sound too, right? If I remember. I I don't think that one was. It was just they they could have used more more channels <laughs> to handle the orchestra and everything, but. Uh, Maybe I'm confusing two tours, but I remember it was the orchestra, definitely. Definitely with the orchestra. And and I remember because you know I'm a, I'm a huge Yes fan. That might that might have been like the seventh or eighth time I saw them, and and I said, oh look, it's you know it's it's Alan White and Chris Squire, Steve Howe, John Anderson, and that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Who the hell is that guy? And then they announced you, Tom Brislin. And how did how did that come about? Because you said that was sort of. Almost like an afterthought when we talked about it, like the, of them because they were going to go out with no keyboards and just sort of transpose the um, the keyboard parts to the orchestra, pretty much. Yeah, the original conversation I had with Yes Management, they were also Meatloaf's management at the time, okay. and I was on tour with Meatloaf, and they were talking about possibly just needing someone for a few dates um, to fill in for their then keyboardist because they were going to go to Russia. Mm-hmm. And they had a Russian. Uh, defector who couldn't go back. Ah. So I strangely just got all this bravado and I was like, I was raised on, yes, I could do it. I, I'm your super sub or whatever. And they said, okay, start making a recording, start making a, a demo so they can hear you and see you play, yes. 
music. And while I was in the process of making that recording, I got another call saying, everything's changed. That keyboardist is no longer with the band. And of course, they always go knocking on Rick Wakeman's door. Right. And he was on a tour of his own, a pretty big worldwide tour uh, for the year. And this was 2001. So they said, I, I, I can see the thought process they have. They said, yeah, let's replace the keyboards with a whole orchestra. Oh, I get it. You know, okay. And then it was, well, maybe we should have a keyboardist in the orchestra, play some piano and organ. And then by the time I had my first conversation with John Anderson, it was, do everything, a yes key, <laughs> be the yes keyboardist, do everything. Oh, and I hear you sing, too. So sing all backing vocals, <laughs> which, which no other keyboardist really had to do. So wearing many pairs of big shoes. And Chris Squire was way into the backing vocal concepts, and he was always looking for me to double him. Really? Yeah, and sing with him on his parts a lot. Really he has, I mean, from for me reading so much about him as you know being a super duper Chris Squire fanboy, he has a choral upbringing uh, as a kid, so I, I could see how that would make sense. But I, I actually, we're gonna get back to the Yes stuff because you know I'm a huge Yes fan. Uh, but I remember the first time I met you was at Glenn Burtnick's show. He did the Christmas show, yeah, which and the one right here in Staten Island. Yeah, and then you did the next one, right? Too. Yeah, I've been. Doing Glenn's Christmas shows since he was doing it at the bottom line. Oh, wow. Way back in 96, yeah. yeah. I did the one here, and then he stopped asking me. I think he found that I was a Jew, and then, <laughs> then, I, was, and then I was out of the Christmas show. <laughs> so <laughs> Maybe you brought your lightsaber instead of your that. guitar Actually, one day. The, the show... <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah, he's a lefty. He's out. <laughs> Richie, actually, that we we stopped doing the show. Really? Yeah. After that was, I think, 2013, and he took a year off, a couple of years off. Actually, we just brought it back ah, this past Christmas. So. Okay, didn't, I don't feel didn't so bad. Donald so, do one? It, it wasn't you. Was Donald Rose? Or by Judaism? <laughs> Sorry. Did Donald do one? The Donald very Roser? first one that yeah. I did. Ninety six. He said he's friends with Glenn Burton. Yeah, he he performed at the okay. bottom line. Cool. That was a really interesting show because there there was all these different people. Um, it was a, it's a huge show that he puts on, and we did it at the College of Staten Island, um, and you know everybody, all these different people playing uh, Christmas music, and I, I was very excited to meet you, and also Jerry Gaskill from King's X yeah, played that on that, great. and I was really. What exci- year was that? That was a, not too long ago. 2013. Did I go to that? No. Did I have a gig? Yes. <laughs> what <laughs> the heck? But terrible, terrible. I just I, I feel bad because what I did is I met you and I just within 20 seconds of meeting you I barraged you with yes questions <laughs> and and you were like and the thing is I was like this guy's gonna be so pissed off that I'm just doing this and you were right there you're like oh my god yes let's talk about yes but then, but then you're like. You're like, oh shit! I have to go play a song now. Okay, we'll talk. We'll finish this conversation later. So it's like you played your song, you came back. Okay, so when we played Siberian Katru, you know, it was it was it was really really cool. And um and then I ran into you uh, a few times at Nam, right? And we've been talking on Facebook. Uh, and at Nam, the last time I saw you at Nam, you just you said like. Dude, look over there. It's Keith Emerson. And we were both flipping out that Keith Emerson stopped by. You were doing uh, the demos for Casio? Yeah, he was a guest of our booth often, actually. So yeah, so, and cool. then it's tragically, he passed away like right after that. You know, he, I think he signed your uh, pictures at an exhibition. Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, my Mazorsky's pictures at an exhibition, oh, classical sheet music. Wow. Which that's a huge piece in my life because right around the time I was about 15, 
I was getting into classical piano and doing the competitions and recitals and stuff, and I was I was hitting pictures, oh. trying to tackle it. And at the same time, I was like discovering ELP and having this like prog resurgence in high school because I was ra- like I literally was raised on Yes and Pink Floyd, Foreigner. Uh, Zeppelin, anything seventies, and not Atlantic Records, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, and but in high school, I got really into Keith Emerson, and and so then to, to discover that they did their own rock version of Pictures at an exhibition, it was like an amazing thing for me. So I'm really, really grateful that I got to talk to them. It it sounds like you took a similar path to me musically, which is why we have a lot in common. When did you start playing, and what was your? Because you, you said you were raised on this stuff. What was your childhood like that you 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 got into this? I'm the youngest of five, and most everyone either played an instrument or was really hitting the record collection. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, two of my sisters were my first piano teachers. My brother, who was the oldest in the family, he was in the bands in the '80s Jersey scene, and um, so. From there, it was just music was every everywhere, and I was I was trying to form bands at ten years old. Yeah, we were awesome. <laughs> um, but now, now, when you tr- did you do what I did? Like you tried to form a band, and and you were pre- pretty much the only musician in the band. <laughs> so it's like my next door neighbor. Here's a bass. Put your finger there. Okay, great. You're hired. <laughs> yeah, the, re- the recruitment process. And you're like, why, why aren't you understanding what I'm telling you yeah. about these sharps and flats? Yeah. So. That, that's literally my, my next door neighbor, who was my friend. His name was Gus Platus, and he couldn't play bass, but I basically I had a bass, and I put it in his hand. I'm like, okay, go there, then there, then there. Okay, we're good. We, we have a set now. <laughs> You were way ahead of us. <laughs> we, well, you know, the whole thing was like trying to get instruments, you know. Okay. So I was like, everyone came to my house because there was a piano in the house. But, you know, when we took the show on the road and my one friend got a guitar. And I remember, this was a real little kid. And I remember seeing my brother tune a guitar. I have no guitar training or skill or whatever. So I was like, I think I know how to tune this. And I started tuning it and it was just way too tight. And I broke a string. Oh. I thought I broke his guitar. And I thought it was like, oh, oh yeah, the, the band is over. <laughs> Oh my God! And you were ten. Yeah, it was traumatic. <laughs> so when did you start? You know, meet, when when did you form your first proper band? Well, in high school, it was meeting musicians that you know we wanted to do battle the bands and all that stuff. And there was the whole new order Depeche Mode electro pop side of life coming on because I was getting into MIDI and synthesizers and yeah. all that stuff, and all the goth people were like you got to do this you know and then um and then there was like starting to get back into get into the prog stuff and so formed some bands a couple bands in high school and was also trying to form it like a jazz combo I was like really into bebop and stuff you you, it, you you know the dark arts of jazz yes yeah, my as my college degree is yeah. really yeah. Oh. i end up going to william patterson which had a great jazz program oh. and doing that whole thing so. are we gonna, are we going to play some jazz Andy's looking at me like, you know, don't make me play jazz. We know you always do. Yeah, we, you know, every time someone comes on and says they play jazz, we play some bad jazz every time. <laughs> but, um, like, so what, what's... Play if you're, you're, like, fascinated <laughs> by it. You're yeah, fascinated yeah, by the exactly concept. I, I'm jazz. fascinated by jazz because I'm so bad at it, but I, I desperately want to be good at it. But, uh, you know, that's, that's the idea. You play stuff wrong. What's... <laughs> It's it's like you make mistakes. You're playing it wrong. Did you ever see that Spinal Tap clip about jazz? Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. 
So what's a jazz tune that you, you like to play that we can probably play and not be bad at? <laughs> you have to get back to me. I, I mean, it's like that's the one thing I was like draw complete blanks. But what I, about I, like autumn leaves? You know that? Sure. Yeah. Do you know the do you know the autumn leaves? <laughs> yeah. Um, was it E? All you guitar players play in E minor. So. Oh, so what, what key is what key well, is supposed to be? Well, the intro is in E minor, but then it goes to A minor, right? First chord is yeah, A minor. Okay. Can you sing Autumn Leaves? The Falling Leaves. Is that too sure. low for you? Too high for you? Oh, yeah, it's way too low for me. No, the, the Falling Leaves. <laughs> 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 it starts in G. Yeah. 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 Right, let's. <laughs> <laughs> is, 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 is this a mistake, Andy? No. Of course <laughs> it's a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Are you gonna do it with the hits? Let me get. Oh yeah, the hits. Do you even know what I'm talking about? You go, you go. Oh yeah, the hits. Oh look at you. Oh. You, you know the lingo, Richard. <laughs> Screw you, Amber. <laughs> I can play jazz. Let's do Sounds this. Sounds distorted in my ears. It sounds is, distorted. Is it? Well, he has his guitars distorted. Is it distorted in my ears? He's playing distorted. Andy, can you can you the telly? Let's, let's, let's put it, let's get a jazz guitar. Less fall, less fall would have destroyed you for that. <laughs> oh, you using that guitar? Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll tell you that's what nice. he did. Just <laughs> anyway. All right. So, are we doing? Are we doing like what every band does? All right. That's like a yeah, wedding. That's it like a wedding. Right, right. why, why don't you start it? We'll just jump in. We'll do it our way. So I'll do a little intro. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's you. Your face, the summer's 
was nice i think either either tom's really great or the band geeks are getting a little better at playing jazz <laughs> from doing it every time and doing it poorly i think over time practice you're like the, the third or fourth guest we had do this where they say they know jazz we, we we launched something and it's usually bad but this time it wasn't that bad no it, it's always the same script it's always so you too are familiar with, with the, the dark, dark arts, arts. <laughs> they call it the dark arts of jazz so <laughs> it's, it's really tricky to play that music on an electronic keyboard really and, and it's you gotta watch where you say that because it sounds like you're making excuses, you know. <laughs> but you know, it's that music. It's just something about a real piano, just like has the glue, you know. Well, I know you mean. I switched guitars because it, if you don't have the right sound, it's kind of hard to, to play. You know, I need something a little more mellow than the heavy metal Steve Morse guitar that I had. <laughs> yeah, you can't this, play a guitar uh, that makes a horsey sound. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne Shorter is performing. I'm going. I've got tickets. Really? Never seen him before. He's over oh, 80 years old. Him. I don't even care how it sounds. <laughs> I just have to see Wayne Shorter. Wow! With my own eyes, and I think Herbie's going to be there too. I think he's Where? Gonna we saw Wayne Shorter, Pat. right? Oh. Yeah. And also, and also, Ron Carter's doing an 80th birthday residency at the Blue Note. Oh, wow. get out! That's and I've never seen him. Yeah, yeah I want to go to that. Yeah, I do too. We should all go. Yeah, hit me up. Band Spend a year's salary to hear. Never mind. Is Chikoria oh, coming right. around We're on again? Tape. Did we miss him this time? Oh yeah, he did like three we, months. Solid. We missed Chikoria, and he did. Me and Andy have gone he to see every time one. he's been at the Blue Note, and we always yell, "George Particles, play George Particles!" from the crowd. <laughs> and we, the, the tour we missed, he played it. Are you kidding me? He, he just kind of played it. Are those assholes here? Oh, good, let's play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> those pains in the oh, asses. Oh, it's like you were, you were the Island. Dave Imity of uh, play Sergeant Pepper. He, he, that was you. My my dad sort of heckled them when we went to go see them a little bit. He was that was a good move. I thought he heckled take six. My dad heckles everybody. Yeah. It's just his thing. Why would he do? But he's a musician. He, he was just, no. It was it. just. Um, but he's John. Above he, all. he had he had like one. He had one. <laughs> he's John above all. He had um, uh, Chikoria had like a like a, a bank of samples on his on one of his keyboards. Like he was just like playing these like intro sound effect things uh, before every sound. And he goes to start a song. He goes to his tech. Which key do I hit for this? And my dad goes, G. And he goes, he goes, it ain't G. <laughs> this guy's we telling like me the wrong right thing. We were right in the front, too. We were right yeah. at the first table yeah, exactly. on the piano side. We all went once. I went with you guys. That's right. Yeah. I, I compare going to see the Chick Corea electric band to watching the Justice League perform. <laughs> it's, like, it's like all these superhuman, you know, Musicians who are the top of their their instrument, uh, they all come together to play this music that you can't play and will never be able to play. So my so. my favorite thing though, when seeing them was when we went and it was Victor Wooten's first gig with them. Like it was like the first time he was touring with them, yeah. and he has the charts out. And this man is sweating, and he's sitting there. I'm like, Victor Wooten is sweating right now. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. Yeah, Victor Wooten always comes off as so confident and laid laid back, and then I saw Joe, him with the electric band. Like literally, beat. And he, he was in the hot seat. Sweat. Those are on the gigs without Chick Corea playing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so what made you want to play jazz? I mean, as is did the Okay, here's a good question. Did the prog rock get you into the jazz or the other way around? Well, I think it was introduced to the progressive rock first. I, I have said this on numerous occasions that I think I was hearing yes in the womb. But um <laughs> but I, it's funny, you know, I think 
this is the weirdest thing. There was this, they started running these old Popeye cartoons in the afternoon after school. There was one with some hot jazz. <laughs> and I, I think it was, a, I said, I, I dig that music. I want to play some of that. And then wow. high school came and they had a jazz band and they had this, a Thad Jones, Mel Lewis chart called, the song was called Us. And it had this chord in it, F7 sharp nine. <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, this is the music I, I want to play, right? Because it, it Hendrix. Yeah, you're right, exactly. That's how I explained it to everyone. It's yeah. the Foxy Lady chord. Well, because you know, it just blew my mind. It's like this chord shouldn't work because it's yeah. it's major and it's got the major and minor yeah. third. And, you know, you try to mix them around, it doesn't always work. But this, that's the funk. Yeah, that's that's what's happening right there. So. And and funny enough, so something musical and it seems a little technical to talk about it, but I just that sound was definitely roped me in. And friends of mine from school who played other instruments you wouldn't have in a rock band, you know, like saxophones and trombones and stuff. <laughs> it was like we, you know, we didn't the ska thing didn't hit yet. So yeah. <laughs> so we 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 went for learning how to play Charlie Parker tunes and Miles Davis. And high, high school is is what years for you? Um. You mean what real years? Yeah. Oh, this is not going to be deleted. Okay. I'm going to lie about my. No, this is. Um, I graduated high school in 1991. Okay. Yeah. Holy so. shit, you're young. I know. <laughs> you're going to say something else. <laughs> and you're good. <laughs> so you were okay. So you got out right before grunge. Yeah. Here's an interesting thing. Oh, good so I for went, you. I went into college. Right. <laughs> so there were all these things that were hitting at the same time. So it was grunge. So, and, and this was also coinciding with my finally starting to play clubs with bands. So I was the keyboard player right. on a bill of 10 bands because right. keyboards were gone and it was uh -huh. just grunge. But also in the jazz scene, there was this young lions of jazz movement that was happening. Like all these guys were getting record deals and they had great promotion and right. great suits. They're good players too. Guys like Roy Hargrove. And this was something that like, it was like the next generation after the Marsalises sort of made straight ahead jazz hip again. So that was happening on the other side, and and it was like all you know, Harry Connick Jr. and um, <clears throat> so there was like a lot of attention being paid, and like guys like Joe Henderson were got a Grammy. Someone who had been forgotten had a comeback. So there was these really Sonny interesting. Rollins. Yeah, Sonny Rollins. I got to see him, and uh, so it was really interesting time, and I enjoyed the grunge era. Because when I had some friends that were starting to do like house concerts, like basement shows, yeah. and they would do it up, they'd get track lighting and, and real PA system in there, and it was like an event. And the cool thing about that era, and, but we weren't calling it the grunge scene, it was just the alternative scene. Right. And the thing I loved about that, at least in our, this is central New Jersey sort of hang, you'd have four bands playing and everyone was different. There was, of course, a band that was doing the Red Hot Chili Peppers vibe. There was right. one doing like a, British, you know, the Smiths kind of that okay. sort of like influenced by that sort of thing. Cause that wasn't, it was just like the next generation of that, I guess you could say. And me with my bands doing some pseudo prog thing. And the, the, the thing I liked about it was that it seemed to be important that everyone would do their own thing and be original. And it was like, it was more encouraged to be a freak show. This was before everybody got real slick with their self promotion, and, yeah. and it was all about how Almost many people. Almost like the you new punk the... rock, and you did it yourself. You put your own shows on. 
Yeah. You made your own scene. There's it doesn't a bit have to of be a punk resurgence rock. of that now too. Yeah, it's like sure. the basement shows and stuff. Like yeah. I have kids, 18, 19 years old students who are like, um, doing hello, that. we're doing a basement show right now. This is talking about talking about blood gigs, and sweat though, you know? and you know. Yeah, I mean, when I I moved to Seattle in '89, and that kind of stuff was still underground because it was just mother love bone, you know. Mm-hmm. But you see these little bands. I call them little Alice in Chains and Soundgarden in little rooms, like Red Lion type rooms. And it just, they made their own scene, you know? They didn't try to get into the Ritz or something. They just, they just made it happen. So that was, that's, that's interesting that you said that. Yeah. And so that was the thing I, I really dug about it, even though what I was doing wasn't necessarily fashionable. But then, you know, we just, you live and you learn and you grow and you meet different musicians and also wanting to be a working musician. So I started like playing wedding band and lounge piano and just ultra hunger for music. I remember playing four sets of restaurant cocktail piano. That and, makes you good. Yeah. And in between, in, on my breaks, I'd be in my car listening to uh, trying to find obscure college radio stations and find more music, I wasn't wasn't saturated with music at all. It was just like, oh, maybe I can adapt something like this in the next set. Right. You know, they won't know I'm playing Toad the Wet Sprocket or something. I, I did when I whenever I have to do a cocktail hour and I'm because I'll do like you know. Um, um, just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. I'll do all that stuff, but then when I'm thinking of what to play, I'll just do like. I've heard you play Cemetery Gates as like a like a gypsy jazz. I'll play I'll play like the ancient while I'm trying to figure out what to, what to play next. And people don't realize, you know, you're hearing yes right now. So I go from all the loungy stuff. Oh no, we did we did a gig at the Red Lion where we were doing like um some sort of like reggae okay? thing. Uh, we were, what were we playing? Like Hey Soul Sister? Or, no, are we playing that I'm Yours, Jason Mraz? You know, did the uh, same song. Uh, and then I and and every, all these all these girls are, are dancing in the audience. Then all of a sudden, you were, this is what you're talking about. Okay. And all of a sudden, I go. Reverend, Reverend, is this some conspiracy? I screamed. I think I laid on the you floor. Know, Brandy and, and Amory like went up to it and they were pointing. I was like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're doing. I played. I played a talking about love like fever. At a wedding cocktail hour. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It was like, boom. And it never changes. Yeah. My, my wedding band used to get mad. I used to play continue, the continuous. I used to they stop playing those Genesis songs. Nobody, <laughs> I want to hear Luther Vandross, Michael Bolton. So we all, so we all did the Genesis same thing. We song. put the songs we wanted. No, because that's yeah. how you keep yourself from, from falling asleep. That's right. My, my grandfather played... Uh, I have my grandfather's bass upstairs. Uh, he played probably hundreds of weddings on that thing. And he said what they would do is when the people got drunk enough, they'd start putting Italian curses in all the songs. <laughs> like everything was fangool and this, that. It, like they said they just, you know, the Italian curses in all the songs and people would not, they had no idea. It right flows. over their heads. It has a flow to it. It does. It has a nice language. But Food drumming. Me, Andy and I had a similar story to, to what you're telling us. Um, when I, when grunge hit, I was... I was probably late junior high school, early high school, and I was practicing a lot, and, and I just started getting into like Eric Clapton and lead guitar and just started hearing yes. And I was like, wow, I really want to get good at my instrument. And then all my peers were like, no, that's not cool anymore, man. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, leads. Yeah, proficiency is not cool anymore. Like, it's got to be dirty. It's, you know, all you need to know is one power chord shape. You know, every, all my friends were able to rock this, you know. And if they can play that, they were they were happy. And me playing like, oh, listen to this, you know. Um, no, that's not cool, man. <laughs> that ain't yeah, cool. Like the guitar solo <laughs> went out of fashion. It really too, did. Yeah. It never came back. <laughs> but when after years and years of this of just the you know this is what music is it's more about the energy and not about the proficiency when we started our prog rock band me and Andy and I the kids really responded to it cuz they were like what's this you know and it like we and we also wore capes did you, did you ever have a cape in your no, prog rock you band you know I'm waiting on my cape <laughs> I I, long, I you know I'm waiting for my golden cape. It's like a gold watch for retirement. You know, when I retire, they'll give me the gold cape. Does yes when when you when you join yes, they're like, you know, we we'd like you to wear a cape, please. Do they tell you that? No, I was like, may I wear a cape? <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to beat wardrobe and get sized for your cape. It just ended up being a real big shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you can't use a red cape because Chris is wearing that. Sorry. My, my favorite thing about going to see ARW, we, I just saw Anderson, Raven, and Wakeman, and, and Rick Wakeman comes out with this beautiful, ornate cape, right? And he walks up like, yes, it's Rick Wakeman with the cape. And he opens it up to reveal he's wearing what he probably slept in right under the cape. But as long as you put the cape over that, that will dress up anything. Like he was literally wearing black sweats and a dirty black T-shirt. I think I, think I even saw a mustard stain on it from the, uh, from the, from the stage. And, and, and that's what he had under there. But it was like, you know what? You can literally wear anything. You can wear your pajamas yeah. and you put a cape on he's it. He's like good. super bum. Do you, do you guys follow him on Twitter? Uh, no. I've seen some. Uh, yeah. no, me, me, me and Andy, we, we just we call each other about every day to talk about Rick Wakeman's Twitter. It's all about indigestion. Everything, everything he puts joke. on Twitter every, is about every, farting. Every it's day amazing. Another fart joke. <laughs> so okay, let's let's move on. So you're you're playing in your prog band. Is it original or are you doing covers? Well, this it was a. Uh, an original band mm-hmm. um and the high school group i had like it was like a collaborative thing we were we were trying to write some songs and you know we had a notion but it was real naive you know how a lot of bands are when they when they don't play any gigs yet right everything is in the lab first mm-hmm. but it, it's it wasn't without merit you know but once college came and we sort of turned it over and went, went their separate ways and what then i started a band, band where sorry what was the name of the band the for, oh the high school band was called Tachyon. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Is that the yes. most prog rock name you like ever heard? Tachyon this is before I saw them re- talking about them on Star Trek. I think really? I saw it on my yeah. SATs or something. Oh, that's, a re- that's an actual thing? <laughs> yeah, Tachyon yeah. Pulse. Well, particle. a possible thing. They don't know if it exists. <laughs> isn't that it's, it's, it's a, about a theoretical It's a temporal particle. thing, yeah. Tachyons, isn't that what you hear about on time travel episodes? Yeah, but really what a tachyon is, it's a theoretical... It's band geek, yo. Yeah, do it. Welcome back. You're you're listening to Band Geek. (laughs) Theoretical (laughs) particle that moves faster than the speed of light. The end. So we were like, oh man, we're Tachyon. We're going to be so fast. Well, your your band name name. was Speed of Sound. Speed of Sound. (laughs) (laughs) We should have met in glorious battle. (laughs) (laughs) I love that Peter Sellers. And then you would have been Thunder and Lightning and that would have been beautiful and Wild Sounds. The Hudson separated. Yeah. The Hudson River kept us from our true destiny <laughs> well you know before the internet that was far 
Yeah, like right. to, to find someone else to play prog rock with you, that was very difficult before the internet. Now you can get on some Facebook group, you know, I want to play prog rock in a band, and you can find people. Yeah, you find your tribe now. Yeah, it's very, it's, and every, that's why everybody I think is so, you know, so much more polarized now because you can find people who agree with you to support whatever you're saying. Right. It, it's amazing. You know, but, we, we had a heck of a time trying to find a bass player who mm-hmm. could do it. And, you know, eventually I started writing tunes that were. Sort of jazz rock influence, like Sting's solo band with right. David Sanchez. I was really into that sort of songwriting, and I was getting really into Squeeze, Joe Jackson. I was having like an '80s resurgence because, you know, I mentioned growing up on the prog, the '70s, but that was their music. That was my sister's music. That was my brother's music. Right. The music that I discovered on my own with the borrowed clock radio was The Police, Men at Work. Duran Duran, the 80s stuff, the new wave. And, you know, the first record I bought with my own money was uh, Men at Work, Business as Usual. And you know how it goes. That first record that yeah. you own will sound perfect for the rest of your life. Yeah. So those, but that 80s um, and late 70s, Joe Jackson, Elvis Costello, those songwriters, intelligent pop. Great songs. Yeah, great well, songs. Great, great you, songs. I want to ask a, a question of the room now, because we never talked about this on the show. What was the first album you ever bought, everybody? Hmm. <laughs> I can tell you the first single I bought. Go ahead. Joan Osborne, one of us. Okay. Was it a single? It was a single. <laughs> and um, the back was Dracula Moon, and I adore that song. So I was obsessed with that. But the first like full-length album I got was Blink-182, Enema of the State. I was, that was given to me for my birthday, I think in the sixth grade or something. And that's a great sounding album, by the way. Like, it just sounds great. But you're right. You're like, the first album you get that you listen to, it's like, yeah. it, it makes an great. impression on your neural it net. It does. Yes, it does. It, it forms you. What about you, Brandy? Um, I'm trying to think. I think it was the Madonna album with Lucky Star on it. Okay. <laughs> and then uh, I think I got that and the Starship album for like a birthday. Yeah. Nice. Those birthday albums. Do you remember, Dandy? The first thing I bought was. I- Think maybe everyday people. It's definitely Sly and the Family Stone. Mm. I think it was probably everyday people. And the first album I bought, I bought it from uh, uh, a garage sale across the street. And it was Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player, Elton John. Oh, wow. That was the first that I owned that, that I bought with my money. And Andy, it's still uh, the best album ever I, for me. Andy still hasn't bought an album today. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. I remember. I definitely remember. I had some sort of Beatles compilation album that, that made I, no impression on that, you whatsoever. That I though. played <laughs> on my Fisher Price record player. Okay. Oh, oh, we're talking back then. I mean, uh, my first I mean, album. Uh, my great. I would play it on the me. wrong speed too. It would be like, I want to be your man. Like, really oh, it sounds fast. like Leonard Cohen. Oh, then it sounds like, oh, I love this Bee Gees record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I had a record player that could go to 16 RPM oh, for some reason. Uh, I did, a, too. Yeah, yeah, Talking Books, I guess that was, you know. But I had the Chipmunk Punk <laughs> album, and, you know, I got to slow down the Chipmunks so they sounded like regular people. It was terrifying. <laughs> But they're the singing the knack, like the suggestive lyrics. For you know, I'm like, yeah, I don't think the kids are understanding what they're talking about. A good girls don't. Oh my god! Uh, my first album that I ever bought, my grandmother gave me money for. My great grandmother. I was in the mall with her, and I was like, I want to buy a CD, and I, I believe it was the soundtrack to the movie La Bamba. That was my first album, and Los it's Lo- Lobos. Like, Los Lobos. 
Yeah. <laughs> Richie! That, that album is bananas. Uh, it's, it's great. Also, you know, that uh, callback, that gig that we did together, Marshall, Marshall Crenshaw, Crenshaw was, and I asked him, I was like, I have the La Bamba soundtrack. He's like, so? <laughs> I'm like, you're on that. And I love it. You met Marshall Crenshaw? Yeah. I, listen, he's, got I a radio, he's got a radio show every Saturday night on FUV. Really? That's one of my favorite things in the world. He plays all eclectic stuff. Oh, yeah. He's great. He's amazing. I played a gig with him on vibraphone. Really? And it was after one of these Glenn Burtnick shows. In fact, it was at the College of Staten Island. We did the entirety of the White Album with additional instrumentation and everything. And and Revolution 9, the whole enchilada. And after the, the show, Marshall asked me, do you play vibraphone? And I said, yeah, I do. And I was like, I haven't played vibraphone since high school. <laughs> and so I, I, I called up the, the the nun who runs the music program at my high school. I said, can I borrow a vibraphone to practice on for a while? The next thing you see is like me and this this little nun like trying to you know cram a giant vibraphone into the back of a car. <laughs> and, and, and I played the gig. It was, it was at um, Highline Ballroom. It was really really cool, you know, to to hear that sort of. It gave it a little bit of that lounge vibe. Yeah. In there. Yeah, he was great. Now you you also mentioned the squeeze and and, and all that sort of stuff. I, it's it's interesting to me that a lot of the, the the hard rockers and prog rockers they love the the squeeze stuff, the jellyfish stuff. It, I think it's the dense harmonic content of that music. It it's very progressive to us, and yeah, the th- the th- it's I love when you can take something like that and. Hide it. Yeah, I was going to say in, hidden in a pop song. In a pop song. Oh, well, yeah, remember like, like Rush would always say about talking heads and cars. and like, This is not new wave. This is progressive music. Yeah. It's just simpler compositions. The packages. On the outside. But when you go on the inside, yeah. you know, Remain in Light is about as progressive a record as you're ever going to hear. I mean, let's. We're gonna play. We're gonna play a song, or you know, "Cats Out of the Bag." We already played it, but uh, wow, we're, oh, we're gonna be great. Yeah, uh, but we 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 did a song. We recorded them beforehand because Tom picked some hard music. Uh, <laughs> we um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna play the the track now. But um, the I want to go over the chords to the song you picked. You picked a Jason Faulkner song uh, called "Afraid Himself to Be," and th- you could just play the chords to the song without the melody, and it's beautiful. Just the, the motion and the chords. Yeah, this really grabbed me. I think I told Anne-Marie the story that, you know, back in, I think it was 1996, you know, without the benefit of Shazam. Yeah. I remember hearing this tune on the radio, and it was this, like, pop rock tune. And, um, you know, it's like this... Uh, was the, the hook and and I never they, they would never say who it was yeah I was like waiting five songs later and they're just like modern rock at the Jersey Shore we'll be back you know I'm like oh tell me who that was two years later I I wake up to the, the alarm clock is on uh, WFMU freeform radio and they're playing <laughs> and I was just mesmerized by the song and I had like a pad and paper read like I'm not leaving this room until I find out who this was and they, they mentioned Jason Faulkner and I hadn't 
I hadn't known him as the singer of the Greys, another band I liked, or that he was part of Jellyfish. I didn't know his story at all. And I got this album. I think it was like from cdnow.com. One of those oh, early yeah. like yeah. <laughs> retail. And the first song is. And you were like, like, there's yeah. this song yeah. I was looking for for two years. Can um, you can you take us through the chords of of um, Afraid Himself to Be? Like, can you just tell us what the chords are for the listeners? Okay. And for me. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I look we should, at we it, we should have had this conversation an hour and a half ago. <laughs> <laughs> so it starts off with a B major, and then a B major over A sharp, then a B major over G sharp. That's the way I'm thinking. I think yeah. he's just keeping that thing above. Mm-hmm. And then B major over A, which now makes this a B7. Oh, that's yeah, the oh best there you part. go, right there, that's right? The that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then we have an E over G sharp. Here's, here's the sauce right here the G diminished, fully diminished chord. Which implies the minor four. Implies it, right? Well, or minor five, rather. Of B? Oh no, what chord are you playing right now? Well, it actually could be like, yeah, the do- it's it's dominant. Because I hear that in, like like a like a five chord, like a minor five. All your music theory needs are welcome <laughs> here at Banky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I'm going back to B again, Second but the bass continue yep. to move down over F sharp, and then your C sharp major over F. What is that, Andy? It's a first inversion. Thank you. <laughs> went from a He's second the first in- inversion police. Went from a second inversion to a first inversion. Oh. Andy's the inversion police. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> basically all the all this stuff for the, the lay person listening, it's just a way to make the, the notes move smoothly from one chord to the next. You hear this descending. Oops. <laughs> easy way to get this chord is just to play C sharp minor over F sharp. But one could think of that as like F sharp nine, F sharp six. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, just great stuff. And, and it's just not the same old, you know, One six vanilla. Five, so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like a lot of so much flavor in there. Well, what's funny, those are like sort of sort of normal chords, but it's all in the voice leading. It's all yeah. in where those bass notes are going, and then how it turns around on that half step is just beautiful. And what I think is a really great contrast is the chorus does the opposite. So now the upper stuff is moving, and the bass is rooted in this pedal point. funny and i had to like omit notes to get it to sound right because you're thinking was this like a g7 sharp 11 yeah. but yeah but if you just like open it up because it's written on a guitar yeah That's... so there's a, oh yeah you're gonna have those open voicings but that i mean to hear i mean anything with this pedal point it's yeah. just i'm a sucker for that you know so when i i remember just fe- first hearing that you sound you feel like you're just levitating yeah. <laughs> you know? you're just taking off that's a big prog thing, though, right? Like, there's a lot of pedal point stuff going on in a lot of prog music. Yeah, yeah sure. It's instant tension. You yeah. know, it's instant drama. And I, I'm sort of disappointed because that's, to me, a perfect pop song. It's, what is it, like three, four minutes? And oh, it's yeah. got all this, and it's catchy, and it it's makes you, it's got plenty of hooks in it. 
And but now pop music just sticks to the same four or five chords over and over. Like every every pop song is you know or some variation of those chords. There's such a wider palette to use, but that's not what people want to hear anymore, or whatever people think they want to hear. I don't know. Man, I want to hear it. Yeah. That the cynical part of me thinks that like these songwriters are just taking care of their business quickly because the money isn't yeah. <laughs> coming in from record sales. Just like, all right, we have an A section. We've got four bars of music. Let's just make the whole song that. Yeah. And you know, and I sound like grumpy old man when I when I say that, but I'm just, I'm like, I remember. Every time I see like a new music artist playing like a television spot on like SNL or something, I'm like waiting. I'm just like, please don't let the chorus be the same thing as the verse, please. <laughs> and then, oh, nope, it's the same thing as the verse. You know, it's like, and I remember I used to do that sometimes and it was like a special treat. I'm like, yeah. I'm going to make a song where the whole thing just builds in one progression. And I was like, I wanted it to be a rare thing. And, and there is something that's hypnotic about that. But I mean, I'm just... It flabbergasted. I was like, "Change, please, music, just change. Go yeah. somewhere else." You know, like that's what I love about you know the way Bruce still writes. Even he'll play a song where you'll say that probably took him a really long time. Bruce Bruce Hornsby? No, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> oh, okay. So. You know, Bruce like, Wayne. This is Bruce a great. <laughs> this is a great bridge. You know, this is a great hook, and you could have easily taken the easy way out. You know. You know that's what they. they, they just, that's just the way it is. They what? Say. <laughs> what? I, that's just like, the way it is. That's just the way things are. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I love that song. That, you know, th- think about that. That was like an MTV hit. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember, like, eighth grade, and this drummer was like, we got to form a band. Can you play that new song by Bruce Hornsby in the rain? Can you imagine, like, a bunch of 12, 13-year-olds getting into that now? Like, I mean, we were down with it. Yeah. It's a beautiful song. We're going to... Is that Lord of the Rings? <laughs> oh, he would be great on encore. He would be great on encore. Do you know what encore is? No. Okay. Wait, wait. Before you answer, like I mean, how competitive channel? are you in general? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Brandy. I like games. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can come. <laughs> encore is a board game I used to play with my my family, uh, and you take a card, right? And you, and it has a word on it or a subject. So, uh, black will be the word, right? So you have to come up with this. Think of a song with the word black in the lyrics. And then you, and what you're supposed to do is sing like six words of the song, right? But what we do now is we play the song poorly because we don't know it. <laughs> and, and we go back and forth until someone's stumped and we play it streaming live so the audience could help us. And, and give us suggestions. So I'm hyper competitive. Amory can't play it anymore. She's banned from the game. I banned myself. I yeah. tried. And you're like, no, you have to play. I'm like, I really don't want to, Richie. You're not going to like this. And I I look at it as like, hey, I'm hanging out with my friends. We're nope. goofing off in front of people. <laughs> and, 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 the, and the people, I want to win. Yeah. And the, peop- and the people at home are having a good time because they're participating. And I'm just like playing songs I never get to play. And, I, and, I'll, and it'll be over. And I'm like, oh, that was a lot of fun. And I look at Amory and she'll be shaking and like, <laughs> this person did this really and this person excited. did that. I'm like, Amory, it's, a, it's not real. It's a game. And she's like, <laughs> Once we change the point structure, everyone's much happier. Now no, that I just she's not happier. Oh, you're less no. happy. Yeah. I'm not. 
I think I think the next time we play Encore, I think um, the other Nashio sister will be the stunt double for Anne Marie. Uh oh. <laughs> She's not happy I about that you. either. <laughs> I see you. So that, that's what Encore is. But um, can we play the song for the people? Here's oh, right, um the here's the song that we played that we recorded. Uh, this is this is Tom Brislin singing "Afraid Himself to Be" by Jason Faulkner. So and it's magical. It's it's beautiful. So I'm gonna hit play now.
and we're back. Yay! That was magical. So um, now you, amory has been playing. When, whenever we're in the car, she's been playing your music. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I've, yeah, I, I've had, uh, I've had a crash course in Tom Brislin. Um, <laughs> now you had a band that was sort of in that vein of, I guess, power pop is what you would call it. Yeah, spiraling was walking that line between power pop band, a little bit of progressiveness, synth rock pop. I think a lot of the prog ties came from my playing with Yes and Camel. And well, uh, did you do that before spiraling? Uh, concurrently before like i i started spiraling when i was in college and so it kept going and you know i said guys i'm going to tour with yes did i'll be back spiraling? in a few months yeah and uh, sorry did it keep spiraling it's er, well for a while yeah um and so i would do these other tours like meatloaf tour come back <laughs> put the money in the studio right <laughs> with spiraling make a make a cd and we did a few coast to coast tours we we toured with they might be giants and oh okay go Violent Femmes, so a lot of pop rock thing, and and we were kind of galvanized as like a synth rock band. We were really into the Cars, and it was very song oriented. Are, are you are you cracking up over here, Andy? Because it sounds like t- like Tom was the guy we needed. Yeah, because well, <laughs> <laughs> me and Andy Just were like, we need one more guy that's like us, <laughs> and we'll be fine. You know, like it's it's really funny hearing you, you talk like this because I just. Because Andy and I went through a whole like Cars phase where we made a, a power pop album and like we only wanted to sound like things that um, Roy Thomas Baker would produce. Sure. That's you know that's... really loud hi hat. <laughs> really well, that's the thing. You know, we ended up we did a we were one of the acts on the Cars tribute album called Substitution Mass Confusion. Oh, and oh. and we did the and so we were kind of in with there was a power pop scene too and. Um, international pop overthrow and festivals like that. So we were kind of in that circuit. But then some of the Prague festivals had us in because, you know, Zagai played with Yes, and we come there and play our <laughs> four-minute songs. <laughs> but then we, we would play Sound Chaser at the end. Just like, oh, to, nice. Th- throw some red meat <laughs> to the Prague crowd. <laughs> so, you know, um, that, you know, we, we got to do it but it was like unfortunately the the prime of our band was about 2002 2008 when each year fewer and fewer people were buying music and right. and the industry was getting more uh afraid i think because mm-hmm. we wanted to be unique we wanted to sound like ourselves and they were looking for something that was just like you know another hit band that had just broken but yeah we, you know you know the deal well so i'm i'm trying to fill in some blanks here in your history uh so you got to, to play with, yes, you said Camel, you said Meatloaf. How did all that happen? It, when, how did you go from you know being a, a, a fan or playing your own band to doing national tours like this? Well, right out of college, I started playing with Glenn Burtnick. Really? We were still doing his original music. And Glenn, as you know, written with, collaborated with many people, including Chasm Sultan, right. who you work with. And Chasm was the musical director of Meatloaf's band, and the vacancy for piano came up. And Glenn referred me. I got an audition, came here to Staten Island, <laughs> got the gig with Meatloaf, and, and was in his band for three years. That led to Yes. Oh, I didn't realize you were Meatloaf first. Yeah. I was oh, like wow. 24. And VH1 Storytellers was the first gig. I had met Meatloaf three days before that. Whoa. And this was my first appearance on television. <laughs> Can you play some Bad at Hell for us? Uh, <laughs> I, know it's, <laughs> I know that's like the audition for Meatloaf to be right. able to play that song. 
Well, it's funny, you know, because like that that grand introduction is like overdub, overdub, overdub. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There's like two or three pianos. There's organ. Um, so it's uh, playing it by itself doesn't <laughs> always sound as powerful. I play it nice and slow for us so we can hear what's and, going on. And we and also we've done it in a different key for those playing at home. So that's a bitch. And um, <laughs> one thing, and and after that was like almost twenty years ago, and it was just like a few months ago that I learned where that song actually begins in time. <laughs> So it would be a good thing for your other program. Right. <laughs> Something about where's the beat. <laughs> oh my god! It, it, it's rock around the clock. It's one, two, one, two, three. Because somebody found the original multi-track tape, so you hear Max Weinberg count it off, like it's rock around the clock. So I was like. Never knew that. Casim wow. uh, has a lot of great stories about recording that um, and how no one knew it was going to be as big of a deal as it was when they were doing it. It's just like, you know, all like one take sort of performances. Pretty crazy. I think, isn't like Casim like 19 on that record or something? He's tearing <laughs> no, it up. I, 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 I have been propagating that myth. I told everybody he's 13 on what he was doing. <laughs> Well, you're they a legend ripped. among the Windborn guys. That was when he got his glasses from the Brit. Yeah, exactly. The Brit. <laughs> there it is. Call back. Wow. Go Danny. Go Danny. Because I've heard that before. He even talked about that. Well, yeah. Um, like that probably from you. Uh, the first, Kasim was on like the third or fourth episode of Band Geek, and I wrote a list of, of see, the thing is, I hadn't met Kasim until Blue Oyster Cult, until he, he joined the band, and being someone who grew up in Staten Island, he's a legend. You know, you hear stories about him. So I wrote a list of legends to ask him to confirm or deny, which, which he confirmed all of, right? Whether they were true or not. I was like, so, I was like, is it true you went on tour with Utopia when you were 13 years old? He's like, absolutely. And I said, is it true that the, the frames in your glasses are made out of reclaimed metal from the Verrazano Bridge? And he's like, absolutely. He just he confirmed, he confirmed all of my, uh, my bullshit that I made up. Uh, but yeah, but, but that, that, that's the truth. You know, growing up, all you heard about was like, you know, oh my God, Castro Sultan's from Staten Island. He's one of the, like, we're being What's a Staten Island. the first thing I said to you? Yeah. Where do you live? Staten Island. Do you know Chasm? Yeah. He goes, you know, it's a big island. <laughs> and it's not just a block. No, but he's, figured, he's a legend from, he's yeah. like a Staten Island legend. It's a bit, we're, we're proud of him, you know, be, like yeah. being from here. Um, so, and he's remained here, you know yeah. what I mean? So you, now, Obviously, you know, the Meatloaf music is great, but I can tell that you are a bigger Yes fan than you are a Meatloaf fan. Um, so how did how did you react to the whole thing? Were you completely freaking out when, when, it, when you got the call? About Yes? Yeah. Well, I think what really it was tickled, I was tickled when, when John Anderson called me and I heard oh. that speaking oh. voice yeah. on the <laughs> other end of the phone. Danny's not going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so that's like, that was I was trying not to laugh actually just like oh is this, my friends are not gonna believe this yeah but yeah but it's like I was fortunate that I was like a professional musician for ten years already mm-hmm. and not like the wannabe who got to be you yeah. know, that kind of thing like rock Mark Wahlberg right? yeah. you know so you know so it was like a little bit more grounded at that time but still like I was just my friends and I were just like man remember when we were like we would just hang out in the dorms, like talking about Awaken and, yeah. and all these tunes, and, and now like I'm part of this chapter, you know, this part part of this story. It's too funny. Sick. 
Yeah. Sick. But Danny, you got a phone call for, like that from Brian May. Yeah, but he has a regular voice. <laughs> you know? But he's not doing this tweedle, tweedle, tweedle. He's got a regular voice. John Anderson, you had to have said, this is not a normal person. I'm going to know. You know? He said the same thing that Chasm said when both of them called me the first time. They said, well, Chasm, he said, are you any good? <laughs> that sounds like Chasm. That's a New Yorker. <laughs> and, and, and John, I'm not going to do the voice, but he said, Could, can you handle it? Yeah. You know, they, they want to know. And it's like, if someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if Ghostbusters has taught us anything. But yeah, so that was, it was a trip. I, I had a, a when when Eric Bloom called me to to play in Blue Oyster Cult, he called me up. He's like, "Do you rock?" <laughs> what is it with these opening lines? Yeah, and these do you guys? rock? Yeah. You gotta he said, no, but I'm available anyway. <laughs> I sway, but I can do the gig. If that's, what you, if that's, if that's may, what you're asking me. May I may I ask him a question? Yeah. What was? Tell me about the first time when you spoke to Chris. Yeah. Did he call you and say? Forget about that last phone call. This is what this is the important phone call on the bass player. No, really, exactly. I gotta know because no. I adore him. Yeah, well, after as we all do. So they wanted me to make an audition CD of two songs, "Close to the Edge" and "Gates of Delirium." So that's about forty-two minutes of music. <laughs> that's an album. They want you to record an album. That's all the tape we've got in the building. <laughs> and. That got me in the door. They said, okay, we want you to come hang out. You just played by yourself? No, I, I made a recording with the keyboard set up and everything, and, and I had... But no music? I mean, no... Uh, no rhythm section? Back? No, they, it, they sent me a live recording oh, from the I previous see. tour, oh, and so I had to put that on the left speaker and put me on the right speaker so they okay. could solo me out and fade it over and stuff. Okay. But they were recording this album called Magnification, I believe in a house that Trevor Horn owned in Bel Air. And I happened to, I was in California recording the Meatloaf album, which is called Couldn't Have Said It Better. And I was, I had, that was done. And they said, come visit the recording session. So I came there and they answered the door and it's like, they, they have kids older than me. So I, they were like, mm, I don't know, who's this guy, you know? Yeah. And, but I, I. Who was, answered the door? <laughs> I think I it was know. a studio assistant or something. I, I'm with you, Danny. I'm right there with you. Because if Chris Squire answered the, like, the door. I would have said, hold on a second. I'm just going to jump in traffic and kill myself right now. Just run away. Because <laughs> I want Ring the last run. person I see to be Chris Squire. And then I want to just take my own life. Just scream. Just, just yeah. scream at the top of your lungs. It's like immovably just like scream yeah. in his face. Hold on a second. Keep talking. <laughs> Danny is stabbing himself right now. He's committing seppuku He's committing for seppuku. Us. He's so, repetitively... So did Chris answer the door? No, he wasn't. He, the, like no, Lurch was, from Adam's family, because he's really tall. You he's know? got the bass on. Yeah. No, but, who the, the fuck are you? <laughs> no, no, like, you thought he was Jehovah's Witnesses or something. No, no it was like, but they were all in, in the, the, they turned the rooms into recording rooms. They had all these mobile, yeah. you know, racks of, of recording gear and things like that. But they, you know, as some were taking breaks, you know, I got to talk with each one of them and having the background someone who grew up knowing yes I, I was able to talk to each of them and have relevant conversations because i kind of knew about what they were um what their backstories were and so yeah they, and chris was amazing and uh <laughs> they all were great That's to me so actually cool. 
I've never seen Danny. This like is a it. guy who played with Queen, ladies and gentlemen. I just, I, I just, I was gonna wear it today, but I didn't want to f- feel like a geek. No pun intended. I got my fish out of water shirt. Oh, what a great the other day. Cool. Yeah, but I figured it wouldn't. It would, you know, I don't know. <laughs> it, it I gotta be, earn it. it. I gotta earn it. Yeah. So okay, you can like this. Stuff. It's okay. What was the so? What was the first rehearsal like? Was there a rehearsal? It was uh, production rehearsals on the site of the first show, which okay. was in Reno. So we did. Um, so they were setting up lights and blocking and everything, and trying to get the, you know, all this plexiglass and the orchestra, and try to figure out what the stage plots were going to be. And it was, you know, just a few days before the first show, maybe a couple weeks, and it was we'd play close to the edge, once, <laughs> and all the way through, no going back to anything. No, can we do this part? Nope. You just, they just, they've done this. Yeah, <laughs> no, but yeah. I just had to stay with it and, and get, get there. That's like, that... that's like a consecutive heart attack, I think, I would imagine, like, just like an ongoing just heart attack. Just a series of coronary issues. Were you, were you seriously nervous or were you just like, well, I got this? Well, it was just, I mean, it was, there was unfamiliar stimuli. Just these wedge speakers were tearing my face off with the volume, but we eventually went to the in-ear monitors, which is much better. But it was everything was so loud and chaotic, and I'm looking, you know, and I felt like they were on the other side of the planet. So I'm like, it was very disconcerting. It took a little to get used to. Um, the one thing that they would go over again was, was Chris. You were talking about the choral background of Chris Squire. Yep. He would always come up to me with vocal ideas. Oh, I want you to sing this part here and do this and and check that out. Because I think he was just so happy to have another voice in the band. And he probably knew what was going on with all the parts. And yeah, all that. that was his wheelhouse. Yeah, that was really. his. That was his gig. Yeah. Oh, so the harmonies yeah. were his domain. Yeah, yeah, he was all about that. John was all about you know like get a bigger sound, you know more sound, right. more, more. He right, just wanted right. the bigger picture just yeah. to be. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, because it's and funny. Be the one who wants more sound. Oh yeah, yeah. And you know, <laughs> this is the one anecdote. When I after that conversation, you know, or and I visited them and everything, and I learned that the gig was mine. First thing I did was I, I went on eBay, and I bought a mini Moog. Buy it now. I'm in. Yes, I'm yeah. getting a mini Moog, which at the time was you know about you know it was like almost three thousand dollars, and and they're rare then and they were yeah. rare now and. And then I had another conversation with them, and they were like, ah, we don't like that old stuff. He <laughs> like, no! just said, hey, Chris, che- hey, Chris, check out the bass sounds I got in this thing. He's like, they don't, we don't like those moogs. That's what John said. He's like, we want the new sounds, like the Korg M1. And the Korg M1 is like 10 years old now. Like, what are you talking about, man? So, but, but you know what I think? Oh, it was that they just they remembered all the headaches of the, the old yeah, 70s yeah. gear, stuff breaking down, going out of tune. And they didn't want to deal with any of that. They just wanted the convenience and, and they wanted to be. They and they also wanted to be fresher, I guess. But I, as that's one perspective as a Yes fan, I know so much of what makes that music so cool as a sound. Yeah. And so and they use some wacky keyboard sounds sometimes. Sure. But I mean, like the the, the early '70s Moog stuff is just unbelievable and Mellotrons and everything. So I wanted to get that. Um, as a basis, and then put some of the other tones around that. What was your rig for that tour? The the main synth I was using was the Elisis Andromeda, which I still have, and that's like a legendary keyboard because it's a real analog synth. And Elisis was a company that just made these little cheap reverbs and drum machines, and they sunk all this research into making this the mother of all synthesizers, and it was awesome, and it broke them. 
So by the time I got it, they were on closeout because Elisa's filed for bankruptcy. Oh my God. They were eventually bought out by these other companies. That's why they're still around. But this was like a great keyboard, and it was new, but it had analog sound, so I could get those... You know, and you and I tones, sounds and, and yeah, and Starship and, Trooper, yeah. things like that. Like so, the real warmth and the sound that I love, mm-hmm. I could get in there. And I was using um, some Korg equipment, their organs, and uh, some Yamaha equipment of the day. Wow. Yeah, but four keyboards for me. That's it. As a yeah, I, <laughs> every other yes keyboardist gets to use like twelve or more. Yeah, that's only a semicircle. I know. <laughs> like I, I had like. So I had to pull it. I had to. I still had to get all of the sounds. Yeah. But I had four keyboards to do it. So there was a oh, lot. They, of, they told you there was a four keyboard limit. Well, <laughs> they're like, like no more. Well, they they. I had a. It was more about the footprint. Okay. Of, of what, I guess I could just keep going up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just just climb up on the ladder and hit some more keyboard. But um, we need a taller keyboard player. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like I'm the only keyboard player that of yes that's not six foot five. Um. But yeah, so it was like I get you more yeah. streamlined, and so I had to be a little more clever about changing sounds on one thing while I'm playing the other thing. The the first me and Andy uh, at the same time got into that album by Dream Theater, Scenes from a Memory, and we were listening to the album like crazy, like oh, listen to all these amazing sounds. And then I remember we went to go see them do that tour, right. and Jordan Rudis on stage, and he played one keyboard, <laughs> and me and you were so disappointed. <laughs> we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> Is he yeah, gonna that's like, like his bag? Yeah, is he gonna like cheese out and play just like a a, a road sound all night or something? You know, but he he got every sound yeah, out of he that had thing. All the splits, he had yeah, the, yeah. It just he basically had, a, had like a pedal and just pedaled the whole set pedal. all night long for the one keyboard. Um, what was the most difficult song you you played with? Yes, you think? I think the Gates of Delirium was the most challenging because it had it rhythmically super complex and it was you know loaded <laughs> loaded with content. <laughs> what was your favorite song to play with? Uh, yes. Probably the Gates of Delirium. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So, but, I mean, were you on stage left or stage right? I was on stage right, right behind Steve Howe. Okay, so you weren't on Chris's side. <laughs> no, oh he came visit. He, he came to visit. I would assume his rig would have been something like a jet engine. Yeah, there yeah. there were a lot of watts. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Did you Sorry. get to meet Rick Wakeman or interact with him at all? The following year, when he came back, because mm-hmm. um, I was writing for Keyboard Magazine, too, so that I, I did an interview with him, and the picture of the two of us together it looked like Gandalf and Frodo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Danny, you get that. I'm very impressed. For some reason, Danny's turn, only seen that TV picture. sometime. Yeah, <laughs> It was cool because I, I was able to write the, the article about Rick and just be like, oh, yeah, I just did this <laughs> for a year. So they gave me a little piece uh, as well. So that was that was really cool. And also Patrick Moraz mm-hmm. I, I met a couple years ago because I, I tour with Renaissance now. And he joined us for a couple of shows, and we got to do Glorious Battle uh, on the synthesizer arena. Oh, oh, nice. And just play solos back at each other, and I'm so into Mraz, so it's like I'm playing. I'm like, yeah, this is all his language. <laughs> do you ever? Now, this is something I do, which might be a faux pas, but I do it anyway. Do you ever go up to like your favorite keyboard players, like like these guys, say, "Hey, how do you play this?" <laughs> Just, <it's> like, <laughs> like I, I did that. Uh, do you guys know who Gary Ho he is, the yeah. guitar player? Yeah. He came down to a Blue Oyster Cult show and was hanging out in the dressing room, and like, and I'm sitting there, and I go, 
hi, Gary. I'm a big fan. Can you show me how to play that lick in Hocus Pocus? <laughs> and he's like, I know the lick. I teach this to everybody. I was like, yeah, can you, yeah, yeah please show me how to play it. Thank you. <laughs> and you should have grabbed this. I would have played it a little more like this. No, he said, here's the way it is in the record. Here's the way I play it now because it's too hard to play live. That's, that's what he told me. <laughs> But do you ever do anything like that? Have you ever? Asked? I'm trying to think. I'm sure there were some things that I had to pick people's brains with, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, just Patrick is like a super, you know, young at heart, musical soul. So we just had a lot of fun. So you're, you've played with Renaissance Camel when that that's like a, an unsung uh, uh, prog rock band. Yeah, right? a band that I admittedly wasn't as familiar with. But again, because of the Yes Connection, some of these progressive groups like Camel, uh, The Sin, which was sort of yeah. the Yes prototype, I played with them. Uh, Francis Dunnery toured with him, and um, oh wow! And then I did a, a tour with Debbie Harry as her musical director. Wow! So again, going all the way back to the synth pop, straight ahead, new wave thing, and I got my band Spiraling to be her band because I was the musical director for that. So. Um, just staying versatile, and and then but this the the prog keeps calling. Cause <laughs> yes, thing. So yeah, Renaissance. Um, been I, I was with them since two thousand nine. I had taken some time off because I moved to Nashville to do my solo album. And when I came back, I started playing with Renaissance again. If people want to get your solo album, where can they go or, or find out more information about you? <clears throat> they can go to tombrislin.com. dot com. There are no e's in my name. It's B-R-I-S-L-I-N dot com. And you can listen to my whole record there and check it out on Bandcamp. And it's it's out there on iTunes and Amazon. And if you want to buy that album on Amazon, see how I did that, guys? Nice, that was very nice. You like that, Brandy? like that. <laughs> Use the BandGeek Amazon link. You go to riotcast.com slash BandGeek. There's an Amazon banner at the top of the page. Just click that before you do your shopping. And then when you check out, a small percentage of your purchase goes to supporting our show and doesn't cost you anything extra. And we got new cameras, and we've been doing more content and being more consistent, and that's because of your donations. So thank you for that. Uh, if you are not in the U.S., and you want to contribute to the show, or if you're in the U.S. and you just want to give us money, it's very easy to do. You go to richiecastellano.com slash tip jar, and it brings you to a PayPal form, and we really appreciate those of you who have been doing that. That helps us keep this going. Uh, so you're, you're also, have, you also have been doing gigs with Anne-Marie. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's funny. You talked about the first time you met him, and you're like instantly talking about yes. Yeah. To uh, tell the whole story, but within five minutes of us meeting, we're talking about Deep Space Nine, like, <laughs> like yeah. for like an hour, <laughs> and, yeah. and now it's like the You're best. Just, that's just a Star Trek show, Danny. We had just met. Say, what is, what yeah, band we, was that? He <laughs> 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 said we went from zero to Deep Space Nine in fifteen, in 15 minutes. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Yeah, that was um. Yeah. Oh, My favorite that, Rush record, oh. Deep Space. Nine. <laughs> Why haven't we played that theme song? We did play it when John Johnston made us the D Space Nine Defiant bass. Did we? Where were you at? (laughs) Go for it. The bass of indifference. See, it lights up, it lights up. Tom, look. It lights up. (laughs) So are you more of a Star Trek guy or a Star Wars guy? All of the above. Okay, me too. Yeah, Yeah. as I saw on your Facebook with the the union of the musicians, Picard playing the flute with the cantina band. I was like, yeah, this guy is my brother. He gets it. I'll fist pump you to that. So there's a funny story that Amory told because you were you were filling in for 
Justin. Justin. What's Justin's last Justin name? Justin Avery, who who's, also who's, plays in Meatloaf. Yeah, phenomenal keyboard player. But there's a there's an ongoing joke that you guys have. Oh, I mentioned that before. So the legend, the legend of Tom Brislin. <laughs> um, so Justin, <laughs> Justin and George weren't on that gig. And George was, is Danny's best friend, who's yes. gonna call as soon as we're done. <laughs> Wait, has George been on the show yet? No, we're gonna get George on the oh, show. He's gotta get on the show. Um, <laughs> so I'm not saying anything. <laughs> So it was, it was El Paso, and you know um, we do we do you know all Prince music, right? That's the show that I'm on with Windborn. So um, you're a big Prince fan, right? Very much so. So he comes in, he knows all this stuff in and out. I'm like, oh man. So um, Justin usually does this big like keyboard solo. He sings "How Come You Don't Call Me," um, which is my favorite Prince song that we actually don't do in the set. And um, but instead of doing that, you played the actual intro to Diamonds and Pearls. And I remember uh, Dan Clemens was like, oh, man, that was really cool. So the next gig that we played with Justin, because we subbed out the following two gigs, the next gig we were with Justin, uh, Dan brings up, he's like, you know, when we, um, when we played uh, Diamonds and Pearls, uh, Tom, he, play, he played the intro. It was, like, really cool. You know, like, Elton did this whole thing. You might, you might want to try that. And uh, then Justin... Oh, that's not what you want to hear when you come back from a gig. <laughs> no, but, it's, but everybody's ribbing each other all the time. Like so it's like, it was very, it was very loose. It wasn't, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like, so he was just like, he, he, it had somehow worked its way into conversation. He didn't just say it out of the blue, you know, like he had asked what you had played before that. And, um, and then he's like, oh, well, I heard he switched his hands halfway through the solo. I heard he played everything at double speed. And then, like, the legend of Tom Brislin grew and grew and grew throughout the week. So it was like the chasm, the, the legend of Chasm Sultan. Yeah. Like, well, I heard that. It was just amazing. And it's, oh, my I can't, God. I can't wait to see where this is snowballed to the next yeah, time we meet up. How was he? He was better than you. <laughs> Why can't you be more like him? <laughs> That's what Danny Miranda would say. That was a good one. So I think I'd like everyone to know that Justin Avery is a great, oh, yeah. great keyboard player. Oh, Justin's oh, incredible. Yeah. Super. He's super great. He played on, I, I did one of your original songs, Danny. He was the keyboard player on that, right? Yes. Him and I. Him and I oh, you both, both played keys? Yes. He added some, oh, some he's so, additional so nice too. spice. Yeah. He's like just a great dude. He's a wonderful guy. Oh, yeah. And really I is. filled in for him in Meatloaf's band last year, and that's when I first started playing with Danny over sure. oh. And all we did was talk about progressive it's funny. Music. Everybody just, like, met each other in different ways. So you... Yeah. Now, you've spent... Uh, you, you are a special kind of person because you've spent an extended amount of time with Danny and you still like him. That's <laughs> 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 a rare quality. Richie bought the yeah. pizza tonight, well, so I ran, have to say know, Whenever I started talking about Star Wars or Star Trek, he just ran. Yeah. Right. There's a story that... um. Danny never saw Star Wars, and and it's the real karmic thing about that is that his nephew loves Star Wars, and and Danny has no idea what he's talking about. He calls lightsabers Star Trek golf clubs. <laughs> when I went to his house once, I, go, Which, I, I didn't know you played golf. And he got really insulted. <laughs> but um, can you tell the story? Because you did see the first movie, and you were forced to, right? I joined. I when I joined the band, I I found Which that band? Blue Oyster Cult. Okay. You know, I liked Star Trek, the original Star Trek, you know, with Leonard Nimoy and all that. I, my brother and I used to watch it all the time. And Eric would talk about Star Wars, and it was like speaking a different language. <laughs> I never saw it. How could you never see it? I don't know. I saw Close Encounters. Isn't that good enough? With the mashed potatoes. 
So with the mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> mashed potatoes, <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. That movie. <laughs> but you know what? When I think of that movie, yeah. all I think about Here is we potatoes. are, you come with us, movie's over. <laughs> right? So I guess ninety eight there was a the reissue came out of Star Wars. The, the, of the first movie. Yeah. And it, Eric says there's a surround theater in Hicksville. I'm buying you a ticket. You're coming, like or, you're like oh, you're in, you're you're said, yeah. said, you're or you're out of the band. Or you you're seeing the movie, or you basically you're out of the band. So I saw the movie to appease him. I got a nice solid 90 minute nap. No. Wait, so, which movie was it? It was. It was the, hope. the first. The very first Star Wars episode four came out. No, no, not episode four. No, it the is. first one. The first one. I don't know what you guys are into this conversation. I'm sorry, the one I'm sorry. that started this whole yeah, bullshit yeah. thing. <laughs> The one, that thing. When people started dressing like Devo and all that kind of the fuck they dress. That movie. When there was only there was only one, really. So I've been good this whole time. And then tell them about England. Oh yeah, I was gonna tell. Good. So I said, so you've seen the first movie? And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw it. I saw, I saw, I saw the bullshit that you do. I said, I said, but you didn't see the second one. He goes, well, why do I got to watch the second one? I was like, because a lot of people regard Empire Strikes Back as the best one. Like a lot of people think that's the best one. And you, and you kind of have to watch it because there's like a big reveal in that. Uh, and he's like, okay, fine. So we, I'm, we're on a tour bus. I pull up Empire Strikes Back. And he gets about um, to the second paragraph of the crawl and completely loses interest of the, of the, of the opening the opening uh, description and he's like so this is where, where, where's Kirk where's Spock he kept, well, he, what is that what you kept saying to me I said this is Star Trek is this Star Trek <laughs> and then I got so frustrated I was like you know what click close the iPad you're not watching this movie we're done we're, you're done you can't watch this go watch Song Remains the Same 20 more times that's, that's what you need to do what? They only had they only have one episode of Song Remains. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how when you go what, and it ends the same? Do you every, remember MTV and Cribs? It remains the same. Yeah. And you know how when you, when you went to like a rapper's house to be like, yo, this is my big screen. This is where I have Scarface on loop all day. He's like that with Song Remains the same. Like if you if you come into his house at any point, he has that movie on. Even if the radio, if the you know, because when you guys were over, my I was playing music, but yeah. that was still. But no, for, the, it was on the, mute for the he has mojo. It on loop, just yeah. as like a life. Coaching thing. It needs to be yeah, in my I, life. I, I recall you yeah. mentioning yeah. that movie <laughs> that, often. That film. You know, speaking of a, a loop, I had heard it. Uh, it might be another legend that in Prince's Paisley Park Studios, the the waiting room or the lobby lounge or whatever, it had a loop of the Tammy Show. You guys know this oh, movie, yeah, the, oh, James the, Brown the, the, and the James Rolling Brown, Stone. James Brown, the Tammy Show. Yeah, same tape I've had for years. Yeah. The the Tammy Show. Everybody's got to go find this thing. T A M I, Teenage Awards music. music International. It was going to be a thing they did every year to raise money for school music programs. It happened once in <laughs> 1965, once. and it has the the Beach Boys and and Leslie Gore and Supremes and, Rolling, and Marvin Rolling Gaye Stones. and Rolling Stones going on before James Brown. Wow. And James Brown just destroys. The Everybody was great, this. but James Brown was James Brown. It was yeah, and it was like sort of the. It, a lot of America was introduced to his him and his music through this thing, but I think and I think Prince just had that loop. Yeah, you know, because he destroyed. Everybody. Ask Marshall; he might know. Yeah, that sounds like something Marshall would know. Marshall's the singer. You're right. Prince you're right, Tom. Because James Brown performance wasted everybody. Wow, everybody. That was 
one of the greatest moments. So, so Danny doesn't like Star Wars, and I, uh, I don't <laughs> like it. I'm but waiting look, for Jimmy Page to come out with the violin bow, <laughs> and he never comes out. If they if they had like a theater showing of if they like the special edition like they did with Star Wars, with song remains the same, he would show up as Jimmy Page in his oh. costume, and he would perform with <laughs> the movie like they do with the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I, you know, I got an show. idea. You know, they played the Wizard of Oz with Dark Side of the Moon. Yeah. We play the song remains the same with, with the video of Star Star Wars, <laughs> whatever the fuck Star, that is. Star whatever, Star yeah. something. So I think I've kept Tom Star here enough. Uh, I want to uh, thank you for coming here today, Tom. Yay! Thanks, everybody. You have been an incredible guest. Anytime you have time in your schedule to come back, please do. We love you. You're great. I love it here. I'd love to come back. Die I'm the home. back, Richie. Play it cool. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You know, it's, if you if you like, if you got some time and, no, and you want don't go to yeah, don't be Cartman. Oh, shit. Be cool. You know what? Don't come back. I don't want you to come back. Is that what you? What am I supposed to say? I don't know what to do to make him come back. I can't be cool. Okay, go back to being you. Okay, please come back. Uh, I'd yeah. love to. Danny can yeah. come back too, um, right? Yeah, Danny. You know I love you. you do. Yeah. I'm gonna see a lot of you though this summer. It's, it might go, might go, that might go a long way. <laughs> Danny nice. Miranda on bass. You've lasted so long. Yay! Andy Ascalis on drums. Yay, Andy! And Rick Castellano on vocals Woo! and some guitar in this next song. Yay. The lovely Brandy Metaxas. And killing the keyboards on this, we're going to do a little dueling. We recorded this earlier. Uh, the cat's out of the bag. There's no reason Tom to. Tom Sizzlin. Yeah, Tom Sizzlin. <laughs> so here's um, a Yes song that we geeked out on, and it's a not often played Yes song. That's right. And I think this is like their, just like, you know, the Beatles with Helter Skelter, like they wanted to make like a heavy song. I think this was Yes's like Black Sabbath song mm-hmm. or something, you know? Would you would you, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, so it was, a, I think it was the the heaviest one they did yeah that i know of. agreed this this is a song that makes Most this is on the list of songs that makes danny want to break shit yeah right yeah. i tell you what i heard i heard this in my high school parking lot my friend's car you know before i got the record on eight track and i just i wanted to break stuff <laughs> i wanted to, wanted to rip his steering wheel out <laughs> and stab him with it. honestly that is that is a concept and a phrase that I have adopted and adapted into my life. Yeah. Like I say it all the time. I feel it. I live it. Like I hear things like I want to break shit. You just want to fuck wanna... shit up. Yeah. And I got that from you. So fuck it up, Danny. Thank you. Thank and you. And then for that. wear it. We're like, this is what I fucked up. <laughs> like a steering wheel <laughs> around your neck. Like, this has been a wonderful show. It was skin. part of something. Now it's part of me. It's fucked up. <laughs> my friend's car on my shoulder. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> he died now. I that did it while he was driving, quickly. so he's dead. Pizza and Chris Squire. Danny is just like, boom. All you got to do is give him a pizza pie and talk about Chris Squire, and he's, he's lit. That's it. That's I, love, I love him so much. Tart. I do. I love Hashtag him, and I miss him so So you're going to play my Rickenbacker for this? Yes, I am. Okay, here we go. This, this, this is me unplugging my fender. No, we, they, no, the cat's out of the bag. It's okay. <laughs> South Side of the Sky from Fragile. Yes. And a one, and a two. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, oh, oh.